Take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Spanning the continent to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. CannabisRadio.com presents The Russ Belleville Show The voice of the marijuana nation Hey, this is great, man We love it Now, here's your host Radical Russ Belleville Good day, tokers and tokettes And non-toking lovers of liberty It is Tuesday, March 8th, 2016 And it's got to be 420 Somewhere in the world Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Russ Belville Show, live here on CannabisRadio.com. Got a great show for you today if you're interested in the ever-expanding world of industrial hemp. I know, usually we save our hemp stories for Wednesday and our Hemp Day Hump Day, but we're going to give Doug Fine the break this week and bring him on next week, because today we've got one of my favorite, favorite people from Washington State. Joy Beckerman will be joining us. She's from Hemp Ace International and one of the normal women of Washington. She's going to join us at half past with an activist agenda to tell us all about the brand new industrial hemp law that has been passed and signed in Washington State so they can begin producing hemp there as well. And uh, we'll see if she's got more updates for us for the rest of the Pacific Northwest with what's going on in Oregon as well. Also on the show today, we'll have time for a radical rant where I got to address a piece that I saw in the Phoenix New Times. Ray Stern is a reporter down there who's been writing for the New Times on the Cannabis Beat for quite a while. And it turns out that the true legalizers, the stoners against legalization down there in Arizona, are giving him a lot of flack, so much so he had to write an article about it today. And I'm going to address that in a rant that I call the only ulterior motive for supporting legalization. Also on the show today, we'll have time to do some drug war data mining where we're taking a look at the political donations made by the political action committees of the big four marijuana legalization reform organizations. That would be Drug Policy Alliance, Marijuana Policy Project, Normal, and the National Cannabis Industry Association. The International Business Times has got an article on this where it asks the question about why is there so much donation for Rand Paul, who is now out of the race, and so little donation for Bernie Sanders, the presidential candidate in the race who has promised to do more for the marijuana reform movement than even Rand Paul had considered. So we'll get into that, look deep into the numbers in our drug war data mining. In behind the headlines today, we're going to take a look at one of the least pot-friendly states in the United States. That would be the state of Iowa, where there's some new poll numbers out that show a remarkable change in the hearts and minds of Iowans when it comes at least to medical marijuana, but even some progress on recreational marijuana as well. So that's coming up in Behind the Headlines, and that, of course, is right after our first segment the Cannabis Radio News. And in the headlines today, we take a look at what a Massachusetts state committee thought of their tour of Colorado's legalization on the eve of their potential marijuana legalization initiative this November. 
We're going to take a look at Utah, where activists are fighting to replace recalcitrant state legislators who oppose medical marijuana. We're going to have more research on medical marijuana and pregnant women coming out of Colorado. We'll give you the details. In Buffalo, New York, activists there are fighting for the decriminalization of marijuana. And in Colorado Springs, we've got an update on the legality of cannabis clubs in that city. All that's coming up in hour one of the Russ Belville Show. Then stay tuned for hour two, Toker Talk Radio. We'll take your calls at 971-533-7111 live if you've got any comments, questions, concerns, or criticisms. We're also going to talk about all sorts of interesting stories out there. The end of the Cannabis Cafe here in uh, Portland, Oregon. The First Church of Cannabis in Indiana. We're going to talk about how people who use other drugs, what they think of cannabis, and pot versus liquor in Aspen, Colorado. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. Cannabis Confidential with Dr. Dina. Candid. I want to give you the inside story. Captivating. I want to introduce you to my kind and amazingly talented friends. Compelling. We get to meet some of the most amazing cannabis activists and warriors around. Listen in as medical marijuana pioneer Dr. Dina shares never-before-heard stories, chats with cannabis insiders and celebrity friends, and provides invaluable perspective and insight into one of the fastest-growing industries in the world. I want to share with you what was once confidential information. Let's expose the truth, discuss the issues, and learn the facts. Cannabis Confidential, only on CannabisRadio.com. With over six years of experience in the industry, New Era CPAs is one of the nation's leading cannabis accounting firms, helping hundreds of growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies with their tax, legal, and business strategies. New Era CPAs offices cover the West Coast from Seattle to San Diego, and their skilled team is always available to help you take your business to the next level. Visit NewEraCPAs.com for more info and set up a consultation. Welcome to the New Era. It's time for the Cannabis Radio News. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Cannabis Radio News is now available exclusively at CannabisRadio.com. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis Radio News. This is your Cannabis Radio News for Tuesday, March 8th, 2016. 
A Massachusetts State Senate committee that visited Colorado to learn about recreational marijuana is warning that the Bay State may not be prepared for pot legalization. In a report released Tuesday, the panel recommends steps be taken should voters approve a likely November ballot question that would allow the recreational use and possession of up to an ounce of marijuana for those 21 and older. The report takes no official stand on legalization, but says taxes included in the plan would likely fall short of covering regulatory and social costs attached to legalization. It also outlines public safety concerns, including the likelihood that a black market for marijuana will persist even if the drug is sold legally. The panel spent time in January visiting Colorado, one of the four states that allow recreational pot use. Frustrated over the failure of the whole plant medical marijuana bill, advocates have pledged not only to bring the fight to voters with ballot initiatives, but also to target the jobs of Utah legislators who blocked the bill. Quote, parents are going to go after seats. We're going to go after those votes. End quote, said Christine Stenquist, the president and co-founder of Truce, together for responsible use and cannabis education. Stenquist said the group's plan to bring forward a ballot initiative in 2016 will not happen. It's too late to meet the requirements for this year. Instead, she says part of the money will go to form a political action committee targeting seats in the Capitol held by Utah legislators blocking medical marijuana. Representative Paul Ray, a Republican of Clearfield, is one of the eight who voted SB 73 down in committee. He said he understands the frustration but believes advocates are picking the wrong fight, saying, quote, Our hands are tied on the federal level and they are working on the wrong level. The fight is on the federal level, end quote. Researchers in Aurora, Colorado, will study marijuana use in pregnant mothers. Colorado is one of very few states where researchers can legally conduct the study. Researchers at the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus are studying effects that pot use has on pregnant women and their unborn babies. CU Anschutz says, although physicians tell women they should not use marijuana in pregnancy, it is difficult to provide them with data to support the recommendation. They believe the need for data-supported information grows as marijuana laws change in the United States. After the mothers who took the survey give birth, a sample of the umbilical cord will be taken. Researchers hope the results will give them more information on the link between marijuana use and fetal growth restriction, hypertension in pregnant mothers, stillbirth, spontaneous preterm birth, among other conditions. The Buffalo Cannabis Movement wants the city of Buffalo, New York to decriminalize the possession of two ounces or less of marijuana. The idea will be presented to a common council committee Tuesday. The Buffalo Cannabis Movement is presenting an initiative to Buffalo's legislation committee called the Buffalo Cannabis Act. The group's idea is to make it legal to grow up to six cannabis plants in your home and carry up to two ounces of marijuana on you. The group argues that current laws unfairly target minorities who end up in jail for possessing small amounts of marijuana. In 2014, New York City decriminalized small amounts of marijuana, making it so that possessing 25 grams or less of pot would not get you arrested, instead getting an appearance ticket. Colorado Springs City Council will vote on a possible ban to the cannabis clubs on Tuesday. Right now, it's illegal to sell marijuana in the city of Colorado Springs, but not illegal to run a marijuana club. Clubs were created so that people could use pot in a social environment. If leaders vote to ban the clubs, the existing clubs would be forced to close after five years. If local leaders don't ban the clubs, new clubs would be able to open. However, the city council wants to enforce new rules and regulations about where those clubs could be located. The existing clubs would be able to stay at their current locations. 
If the city council decides to not ban marijuana clubs, they want to still discuss possible new rules and regulations about where the clubs could open. City council is considering allowing clubs to be built in industrial areas. In September, the city council put a moratorium on new marijuana clubs for six months. It will expire this month. Meanwhile, Denver Normal is spearheading an initiative to legalize such cannabis clubs in the city of Denver. This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Tuesday, March 8th, 2016. I'm Russ Belville. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at radicalrust.com. Georgia. Hi, this is Willie Nelson. Alcohol prohibition didn't work in the 1920s, and marijuana prohibition isn't working today. It's time we stopped arresting responsible marijuana smokers. It's the fair thing to do. For more information, contact Normal, the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. Call toll-free 888-67-NORML or visit their website at norml.org. Hey everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus. Today in the Cannabis Focus, we take a look at an upper Midwestern state that may be one of the least pot-using states in the country, and that would be the state of Iowa. Yes, somewhere between 3.8 and 4.2% of the population of Iowa consider themselves cannabis consumers, on a monthly basis, one of the lowest rates you can find. I mean, Iowa is usually down there with Utah and Kansas as far as the fewest amount of people that use cannabis. So you often find when you poll people in Iowa uh, what they feel about cannabis reform, you're going to get some pretty lousy results. But some good news is in a new Des Moines Register Mediacom Iowa poll has found some growing support for marijuana reform in the state of Iowa. 78% of Iowa adults support the use of medical marijuana, 78%. That's up from 58% in 2013. Now, a 20-point jump in just three years is pretty remarkable for support. To go from you know, almost three out of five to over three out of four is pretty impressive. 78% up from 58%. However, that's not translating into support for recreational marijuana. In 
2013, 29% of Iowans supported recreational legalization. It's up five percentage points to 34%. So five percentage point gain for recreational, 20 percentage point gain for medical. So we are making inroads here. We are starting to convince people uh, in the heartland of America that this is an important issue. And with 78% support for medical, that bodes well for making adjustments and changes to their CBD-only law. The state's legislators are currently trying to make changes to the CBD-only law to allow more conditions to qualify for it. But that's just nibbling around the edges with this CBD stuff. And I know how so many people dislike the CBD-only laws because they provide some sort of political cover for these legislators rather than going forth with whole plant medication that will actually help people. But from a political standpoint, there has to be an argument made that having the CBD only laws created what got called medical marijuana, whether it was helping a lot of people or not. And in fact, there's only like 90 people on their medical marijuana program in Iowa for the CBD oil, uh, CBD oil. Uh, they want to add epilepsy and uh, like terminal cancer to it as well. But by calling it medical marijuana, it set the frame for people to be hearing on their evening news that the legislature is considering medical marijuana, that medical marijuana is passed, that people are using medical marijuana. Even though you and I know it's not what we call medical marijuana, where you're actually getting bud, you're actually using the plant. But the people out there listening to the news don't know it. And like I said... Only about 4% of the people in Iowa have any regular experience with cannabis whatsoever. So for a lot of these people who are so completely outside of the cannabis community to hear medical marijuana over and over on their evening news and to hear that it's helping people on the evening news, I believe has been a major factor in why these numbers have increased. Now, it's also a factor of age. They found that when they asked about medical marijuana, people 65 and older, still there was 68% support. So two-thirds of seniors, 65 and over, support medical marijuana in Iowa. It's 87% for those under the age of 35. 87%. And that break is also very pronounced in the recreational marijuana numbers. Again, 34% favor recreational legalization among 65 and older in Iowa. It's 86% opposed. There's only 10% of the people of Iowa who will support recreational legalization. If they're over the age of 65 under the age of 35, there is now a majority 53% in Iowa that support the legalization of recreational marijuana. Of course, there will be fewer and fewer of those 65 and older voters as time moves on and more and more of those under 35s who keep floating up the demographic chain there. And soon enough, majority support for legalization will happen. We have uh, a great deal of work to do to help to convince people. And we also have to make sure that we can uh, show we can show them that the medical marijuana that they've been talking about isn't what most of us would really call medical marijuana. So the more education we can get out for that, the better. These poll numbers are, again, very uh, 
very good as far as we're finally above one third of the people in Iowa supporting the uh, marijuana legalization. And this, of course, breaks down a lot by uh, Republican and Democrat as well, with uh, the more liberal and more Democratic respondents tending to support legalization, whereas those uh, Republicans are tending to oppose legalization. And I feel that after this election, when we get more states like Ohio, Florida, maybe Arkansas, maybe Missouri passing medical marijuana, those southern states especially, it's going to change a lot of people's minds. It'll be impossible to hold off on medical. Well, when the president does it, that means that it is not illegal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sounds familiar, doesn't it? That's Richard Nixon explaining why presidents can't possibly break the law. Uh, it's as poignant and apropos then as it is now, isn't it? Happy 420, Denver. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. We got numbers on donations when we come back. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. The Russ Belleville Show reminds you to never smoke and drive impaired. Hang out for a while and share. The smoke is rising, and the next crop of podcasts devoted to cannabis providers and enthusiasts are ready to be harvested. Welcome to the Cannabis Radio Network, founded by respected rainmakers who have been producing award-winning podcasts for over a decade. Industry headlines, business updates, medical reports, marketing, and e-commerce education rolled up perfectly for your consumption. Let's grow together. The Cannabis Radio Network. CannabisRadio.com Don't want to spend money on a night out, but don't know what to do other than watching TV or playing video games? Consider playing guitar, bass, banjo, or mandolin. The instrument will give you hours of entertainment with friends with minimal expense. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension, downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today, or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. Promoting the end of adult cannabis prohibition is easy because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It's even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more on this edition of Drug War Data Mining. Today in the Data Mines, we take a look at a feature on International Business Times that asks, why isn't the marijuana legalization movement donating more money to Bernie Sanders? Of course, there's a big primary today in Michigan and Mississippi for the Democrats, Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders still facing off. And Bernie Sanders, of course, the uh, presidential candidate who has vowed to deschedule marijuana. 
not just reschedule it, but to deschedule it, take it off the Controlled Substances Act and end federal prohibition. Now, last summer, Rand Paul, the senator from Kentucky, he held a fundraiser and it was at the Cannabis Business Summit in Denver and the PACs and board members from MPP, the Marijuana Policy Project, the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws, NORML, the National Cannabis Industry Association, NCIA, contributed $24,500 to Rand Paul, who at the time was running for president in the Republican side. Now he's no longer running for president, but he's gotten $24,500 in donations. So where are the donations for Bernie Sanders? According to the Federal Election Commission records, Sanders has received $1,000 from a handful of MPP, NCIA, and normal board members by the end of 2015. And, of course, uh, on Facebook, uh, Rob Campia announced that MPP's board endorsed Rand Paul in the GOP primary, but there's been no similar endorsement for Bernie Sanders in the Democratic primary. Now, I know Rob Campia. He's kind of a, of a libertarian bent, so to see their organization come out strongly for Rand Paul is no surprise, given that Rand Paul is a darling of the libertarians. But MPP is supposed to be a nonpartisan organization, and clearly Bernie Sanders' stance on marijuana is equal to or better than Rand Paul's, even judging by MPP's own scorecard that they've given the presidential candidates. And Bernie Sanders is still in the race. So Rand Paul got $15,500 from Marijuana Policy Project, $9,000 from NCIA, $500 from Normal. And this time around, $250 from uh, MPP, and 750 from NCIA. So part of this could be explained by the fact that Rand Paul in the Senate has been the co-sponsor of the Carers Act, one of those pro-marijuana reform acts in the U.S. Congress. And that's the uh, information, you know, the response given by these organizations as well as DPA, Drug Policy Alliance. Since 2002... These groups, these four groups, have donated less than a million dollars to all federal candidates and PACs. For comparison's sake, gun rights spent $19 million on federal contributions. And the uh, beer, wine, and liquor industry, $100 million. Even LGBT groups con- contributed about $6 million just in 2012 alone. And of the Less than a million dollars since 2002 that the reform movement has given to the federal candidates, less than 40,000 went to any presidential contenders. Now, again, the big four will tell you that's because the money's better spent on congressmen and senators trying to get legislation passed than it's spent on a presidential candidate who has, at best, just the the bully pulpit and executive orders uh, to be able to deal with any sort of drug reform uh, items. But this year, I think, is different. And with 2016 happening and with Hillary Clinton being 
reticent to go too far on the marijuana issue. She still says that we need more study. We need more research on medical marijuana. I think it would be in the drug reform group's best interest to drop some of those donations on Bernie Sanders to send a message. Now, whether that message is heard by Hillary Clinton when she's got all those super PACs and Wall Street, you know, money coming her way, the five grand or 10 grand or 20 grand that the reform orgs could drop on her probably doesn't make much of a difference to her, but it'd make a huge difference for a candidacy like Bernie Sanders. This, uh, this donation, this, this political donation power that we are going to have is only going to increase over time as we have more and more states that are legalized. This is why it's so important for legalization to pass and why I get so frustrated by the true legalizers and the stoners against legalization. And I'll explain the difference between the two in the rant today, but why I get so frustrated at them trying to stop attempts to legalize. They don't think are good enough because any legalization is good enough in that it gives us legality and gives us legitimacy in the political arena. It gives us legal ways to raise and contribute money to candidates who have our best interests at heart. I don't think that money should be behind all our politics. I'd like to see that change, but until it does, that's the reality. When we're a criminal organization, when we are underneath prohibition, it's harder to get the ear of these politicians who oftentimes will reject our donations because, well, they're marijuana and it's crime. But as we become more legit, they'll have less excuse to reject that money and more reason to back our agenda. All right, stay tuned. When we come back, we're going to have our activist agenda. Joy Beckerman from Washington joins us right after this. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. shooting past a thousand degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct. Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber. Doctor's order. Less heat, <laughs> more flavor. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com, where we don't change our mind on decriminalization during an election year. Normal stands for responsible adult cannabis use. If cannabis use is causing problems in your life, consider taking a break or seeking medical assistance. Consider ceasing cannabis use if you have a family history of mental illness. Don't drive or operate heavy machinery while impaired by cannabis use. Cannabis use is not without risks even though the risks are far less than those posed by legal drugs. 
Hey everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio, inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. Activism begins with ACT. The Rush Belleville Show features the stories of hardworking grassroots activists working for an end to prohibition in today's activist agenda. Welcome back, everyone. 32 after the hour. And joining us by telephone, we've got Joy Beckerman, an expert on hemp in the state of Washington. Joy, welcome to the show. Hello, Joy. Are you there? Can you hear me? Oh, we're missing Joy. All right, let's see if we can reach her again. We get making our live call out to Joy Beckerman. She's with Hemp Ace International, well-respected expert in industrial hemp here hey, in the Pacific. Scott, leave a message at the end of the Oh, time. wait a minute. That's not the person we're trying to call. Let's try and get Joy Beckerman's number. We're not trying to reach Scott. We're trying to reach Joy. Maybe that's part of the problem. We'll make sure we're dialing the right phone number here. But that's one way you know that we're doing it live here on the Russ Belville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Hempace International is the name of her company. You can find out more by going to hempace.com or you can email her joy at hempace.com. She's uh, well-known, like I said, internationally. You can find information on industrial hemp. And she'll be joining us today to talk about the new law that has been passed in Washington State legalizing industrial hemp. And this is a long time coming. Oregon's uh, had legal hemp for some years now. And uh, Washington finally getting caught up and passing its recent hemp law. We're reaching out to Joy, but I'm not seeing her respond on the phone number that uh, she has given me. Let's see. Leave a message. Yeah, that's still not uh, the number we need. Okay, so uh, we will take a break, and I'll see what I can do as far as getting her back on the show. You're listening to The Russ Belville Show on CannabisRadio.com. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. 
Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. They're bringing drugs. They're bringing crime. They're rapists. And some, I assume, are good people. Okay. Maybe you're high, too. Growing green to generate more green. Hello to all you happy herbalizers, smiling, trippy hippies, and everyone who believes in freedom and tolerance. This is The Grow Show, and I'm Kyle Cushman. From food to fuel, from remedy to resource. Welcome my guest, Ed Rosenthal, the guru of ganja. Let me ask you, right now I hear your lighter clicking. Are you smoking indoor, or are you smoking sun-grown? What am I smoking? I'm smoking concentrate. <laughs> Way to get out of the answer there. So you're truly like the, the, the king, right? You just have you just clap your hands and somebody brings you a bowl and you're all set, right? Mm, I wish that were the case. <laughs> <laughs> the Grow Show with Kyle Cushman, only on CannabisRadio.com. When you are starting up a medical cannabis business, you want a fired-up lawyer who understands the needs of cannabis consumers. The Law Office of Lauren Vasquez is your fired-up lawyer for the cannabis industry. Visit her website, fireduplawyer.com, or call 1-855-MMJ-LAWS for more information. That's 855-665-5297 for Lauren Vasquez, your fired-up lawyer, or email fireduplawyer at gmail.com. Activism begins with ACT. The Rush Belleville Show features the stories of hardworking grassroots activists working for an end to prohibition in today's activist agenda. Welcome back, everybody. We've got Joy Beckerman on the line. She's with Hemp Ace International and one of the normal women of Washington. Joy, welcome to the show. Always such a pleasure, Russ. Thank you so much for having me. All right. So uh, we've got you here because there's some news we've got to let our listeners know about, and that is the passage of a new industrial hemp law up there in Washington State. Can you tell people a little about it? So happy to and so thrilled, Russ. SB 6026 has definitely passed in uh, Washington State. It's been three years running that we have had hemp bills here, um, and for one reason or another, mostly because they've been competing hemp bills between houses and legislators within the same session. We've not been able to get any passed. This year, wonderful, the WSDA and I essentially double-teamed uh, the legislators to get this through, and I'm just really proud of our Washington State Department of Agriculture, which I refer to as the WSDA. Very proactive, really wanted to get this thing passed through, and I'll tell you, it went through our Senate 48 to 1, and it went through our House 97 to 0. So all but Senator Hargrove, and I'm sorry, Senator Hargrove, I just got to call you out because you're the only guy who voted no, and I don't know why, but only one no, right? <laughs> I, I wonder what the reasoning could be behind that. Um, so, Joy, is this, I know that uh, states in the past have passed hemp laws, but they were always hamstrung by the language that said, well, once you get a DEA permit, you can grow hemp, and of course the DEA is not giving any out. Uh, how does this law interact with the, the DEA and all of that? 
Thank you so much for asking. And so a, a little policy background on that is, and you're aware of this on some level, the Agricultural Act of 2014, which most people know is the Farm Bill, went into effect on February 7th of 2014. This is federal. I'm talking federal. It's an amazing historical amendment that was passed and signed into law called the legitimacy of industrial hemp research. Now, of course, you know I've been involved in this movement for 25 years on both coasts. Nobody wants to hear the word research anymore. But what the beautiful thing is, is that this is not just book research. This is research that also includes marketing. And this builds in a couple of very important things. Uh, this legitimacy of industrial hemp research, again, still talking about the Farm Bill of 2014. Number one, it defined industrial hemp for the first time in U.S. history and distinguished it from marijuana. Side note, an amazing piece is that there are no carve-outs for the resins of industrial hemp in that definition, which there is in the definition of marijuana um, in the Controlled Substances Act, which says even in that second sentence that has a little exception for hemp, it still has a parenthetical that says, except the resins therefrom. So this definition of industrial hemp that had never been written in, in the history of the United States before uh, Section 7606 uh, just says, hey, it's any part of the plant, cannabis, sativa, L, whether growing or not, with a THC concentration of greater than 3% on a dry weight basis. We'll take that. We will take that. On top of this allowing state departments of agriculture in states that permit the cultivation of hemp. So they're not saying you have to legalize hemp, but you have to pass legislation that permits the cultivation of industrial hemp. And once your state does that, it can now take advantage of Section 7606, a federal law that says your state departments of ag and institutions of higher education can now go forth to promulgate rules and start what are called agricultural test pilots or an agricultural pilot program to reintroduce industrial hemp to their state. On top of that, this year, the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2016, which is the federal big giant budget that they have to do every year, and as you are, I'm sure, hyper aware, Mr. Total, know everything there is to know about marijuana, um, <laughs> you know that there are some protections that came both two years in a row for states using medical marijuana within this budget. And it comes in the form of prohibiting, of course, the Department of Justice and the Drug Enforcement Administration from using funds to go after folks who are acting in accordance with state law. Well, that, they've done that for medical marijuana. They've done something a little different for industrial hemp with the Consolidated Appropriations Act. And it's been a tremendous evolution this year from the prior Last year, it said in that same act, it said that the DOJ and the DEA cannot use funds in contravention of 7606. Notice there's a little distinguishment there because when it's protecting the medical marijuana folks, it's saying as long as the medical marijuana folks are acting in accordance with state law, don't bother them, feds. But for hemp, they said as long as folks are acting in accordance with Federal law don't bother them, Fed. So as a result, many states are trying to comply with federal law because we'll get these protections. The additional amazing revolutionary language that was added to that protection in this year's omnibus budget um, says 
not only can they not use those funds in contravention of 7606, it says semicolon or, and this is big, Russ, so brace yourself, to prohibit the transportation, cultivation, use, or sale of industrial hemp that has been cultivated in accordance with Section 7606 within or outside of the state in which it is grown. I mean, this is the Fed giving a tremendous blessing. And I want to tell you, it was no doubt the great state of Kentucky that lobbied hard to get this language in because guess what Kentucky is doing under their hemp research program? They are growing fields and fields of low THC, high CBD cannabidiol hemp. I mean, these fields are gorgeous. They look like acres of matured marijuana plants, but they need a legal definition of industrial hemp and they are being cultivated to process the resins and take them across state lines. And I'll be darned if they didn't get the very protections for exactly what they're doing in that bill. And thank you, Kentucky, because that means that all states that are growing industrial hemp in compliance with Section 7606 can now piggyback off those incredible protections. So I tell you all of that because our Washington State hemp law is indeed a 7606 compliant law. We, of course, will be able to get, we no longer need permits from the DEA to get, uh, to grow hemp as long as we've got our own state program and it's compliant with Section 7606. What we do need the DEA for is so that if we want to import uh, pedigreed seeds from other countries, Unfortunately, viable hemp seeds are still considered to be a Schedule One controlled substance, regardless uh, of hmm. Section 7606. So, we do need to get what's called a CSIEA permit. Of course, we all thought that it was just the Controlled Substances Act that runs this whole show. Well, even the architects of Section 7606, those legislators, did not realize there was a second act. It's called the Controlled Substances. Import and Export Act. By the way, Russ, you know everything. Did you know about that act? No. <laughs> That's news to me. So that so the issue is that even if someone accepts you from the Controlled Substances Act, which Section 7606 opens up with those glorious words, notwithstanding the Controlled Substances Act, but because the architects didn't know about the Controlled Substances Import and Export Act, which is separate from that, they didn't include that language. And as a result, the DEA and the U.S. Customs and Border Patrol requires folks uh, to, to apply for that permit, which they will issue if you're in compliance with Section 7606, and they've issued several, and then you can get your imported seeds in. That's remarkable. So we've got the federal government carving out our ability to cultivate and process the hemp plant, but we still need to get their permission to get the seeds for it. Yes, exactly. And all that's really going to take is, you know, it really just is going to take another law. But I think that what we're focusing on on a federal level right now, of course, is the Industrial Hemp Farming Act of 2015, which was refiled from 2013, which is a very short and would help us all act which takes the same definition of industrial hemp from Section 7606, defines it into law, not as an amendment to a farm bill, but as the actual law of the land, creates that definition and removes it entirely from the Controlled Substances Act. So once we do that, 
we don't have to worry about anything with regard to the Controlled Substances Act. And if I were a betting woman, I would say that's what our, our federal government is really focusing on right now as opposed to maybe trying to... And that, it's hard enough just to get a little bill through if they did a smaller bill about trying to do away with that act alone. Better just to try to get industrial hemp out. By the way, I can't help but tell you, you're an Oregon man. Uh, every single, and you pat yourself on the back, Russ Belleville, <laughs> every single federal senator, both of your senators, and every single federal representative in the state of Oregon, and this is the only state that gets to brag about this, has officially co-sponsored the Industrial Head Farming Act of 2016. Uh, uh, their sister bill, it's HR 525 on the House side, and it's S134 on the Senate side. Conversely, Neither of my Washington senators, Cantwell or Murray, have bothered to co-sponsor it. And they've had lots of time. This is refiled. And only two of our eight representatives have, representatives hmm. have co-sponsored the House side. So Oregon's got it going on. The issue is we need more senators. We only have 10 co-sponsors on that federal level. Bernie Sanders, by the, one, by the way, being the most recent and number 10. Fantastic. Now we've got about a minute and a half left, Joy. Uh, give us again the, uh, the rundown on the use of hemp resins, because I know there's a lot of interest now in cultivating hemp for CBD properties and for medicinal properties. How would this come into play? Well, we're not going to be allowed to do that right out of the gate here in Washington. I lobbied very hard for it, uh, and I brought in the Kentucky Department of Agriculture to speak with our Washington state to try to to get them to encourage them to do it. You in Oregon, your hemp farmers are allowed to collect plant material and extract. Canadian hemp farmers, for example, where it's been legal since 98, are not allowed to collect plant materials and extract. We have our own unique reasons here. Uh, not me. I want us to do it. Um, but the state has its own unique reasons here why they don't want to um, extract those cannabinoids. Basically, we've got the legal marijuana market, and there, we have different standards and testing between state agencies. And believe it or not, the WSDA's testing standards are higher than our liquor and cannabis board. So that's the big <laughs> thing holding it up. Now, I, what I'd love to do is come back to do an entire... 15 or 20 minutes, brother, on hemp-derived CBD. It's, this, it's the issue I teach at Seattle University School of Law and to the Continuing Legal Education Seminars, and it's just not something that can be wrapped up. But, man, would I love to focus on it at your next chance. We will absolutely do that because it's something, you know, a lot of people have a lot of questions. I just got back from Texas where, you know, Alexis Bortel, a little girl who's battling epilepsy uh, using CBD oil and THC in Colorado, but a lot of the politicians in Texas and a lot of the parents there are saying, oh, well, CBD is legal in all 50 states, and we can get it from all these companies, and we'll bring you on to get deep into that. Okay, Joy? I'll be so excited. Russ, I cannot thank you enough for everything you do every day for cannabis. We love you. Oh, thank you so much, Joy. Appreciate it, and we'll see you in Seattle soon enough. Can't wait. Bye, brother. All right. Our good friend Joy Beckerman there, Hemp Ace International. Find her at HempAce.com. When we come back, a little radical rant for the stoners against legalization in Arizona. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. 
Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. They're bringing drugs. They're bringing crime. They're rapists. And some, I assume, are good people. Okay. Maybe you're high, too. Growing green to generate more green. Hello to all you happy herbalizers, smiling, trippy hippies, and everyone who believes in freedom and tolerance. This is The Grow Show, and I'm Kyle Cushman. From food to fuel, from remedy to resource. Welcome my guest, Ed Rosenthal, the guru of ganja. Let me ask you, right now I hear your lighter clicking. Are you smoking indoor, or are you smoking sun-grown? What am I smoking? I'm smoking concentrate. (laughs) Way to get out of the answer there. So you're truly like the, the, the king, right? You just have you just clap your hands and somebody brings you a bowl and you're all set, right? Mm, I wish that were the case. <laughs> the Grow Show with Kyle Cushman only on CannabisRadio.com. We must wage what I have called total war against public enemy number one. I support a change in law. Ten federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. That marijuana, pot, grass, whatever you want to call it, is probably the most dangerous drug. Some think there won't be room for them in jail. We'll make them. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it. and didn't inhale. One major responsibility is to encourage people to use less drugs. Entirely legitimate topic uh, for debate. Radical rant. Once again, we set our sights on the Stoners Against Legalization, and unlike other years, this year we have to specify which state, because <laughs> there are so many states in play now that feature stoners fighting against legalization, fighting to maintain the status quo, and I want to make sure that we get a distinction taken care of, and that's the difference between a true legalizer and a stoner against legalization. True legalizer is the guy that will fight for the Jack Herrer initiative or Measure 80 or any of these initiatives that are more grassroots, more open as far as how much is allowed and so forth, more liberal, if you will. But they're not against the other one, whatever it might be, more professional, more, you know, less limits and so forth. A true legalizer will put their heart and soul into their campaign Knowing, you know, that they're, they're fighting against the odds, but having a belief that what they're doing is right, and they'll move forward with that. And when they don't make the ballot, they'll go ahead and vote for the legalization that did. So I don't have much grief for true legalizers, right? Where I have a problem is when they become stoners against legalization, because whether or not you like the California Sean Parker initiative or the Arizona Crimla or the Nevada Crimla or the Massachusetts Crimla or the Maine Crimla or the Florida uh, medical marijuana, the Ohio medical marijuana, the Missouri medical marijuana, the Arkansas medical marijuana, whatever's going on in Michigan right now, whatever you think of those initiatives, all of them are fighting to keep us out of cages. At some level. 
Now, you might not think that a particular initiative keeps enough people out of cages. You might think it's not letting enough people out of cages. You might think the taxes are too high or the business model is too restrictive or the hurdles are too high to clear to get into the business. But all of them are legalization, and there is no legalization to date that has been offered that is worse than the status quo of prohibition. And with that distinction made clear, we wade into this story at the Phoenix New Times, written by Ray Stern, entitled Trash Talking Pot Advocate Blast New Times Reporting on Arizona Marijuana Legalization Initiatives. I'll run it down for you. Basically, he's got a legion of haters, like I do, who are blasting these videos on YouTube and all across social media, claiming that the reporter must have a vested interest in the MPP-backed Kremla in order to be writing so many stories about Kremla. And it's just, it's hilarious. I mean, it's hilarious and tragic. The leader, okay, so, so you know the two players. There's Kremla, which is the MPP group. And they've got tons of money and tons of signatures, and they'll likely make the ballot. They've got conservative language that'll likely pass and win. And then there's the Arizonans for Mindful Regulation, AZFMR, and their leader, Jason Medar, threatens to turn his armies of volunteers against Kremla if his campaign fails to collect enough signatures to make it on the ballot. Last month, they announced they had more than 95,000 signatures. Well, that's nice. That's really good with volunteers, as a matter of fact, but you need 150,000 signatures. And while the paper here says you need 200,000 to ensure you make at least 150, generally with your volunteer signature gathering, your validity rate's around 60%. So uh, let's do the quick calc on that. Um, 150,000 signatures divided by 60% means they really need a quarter million. Not 200,000, about a quarter million. So 250,000, they're up to 95,000 now, and I think their deadline's in a month or two, couple months. So anyway, not likely they're going to make the ballot. And when they don't, they're going to take their volunteers and turn them against the one that is going to make the ballot. That makes you a stoner against legalization. That puts you in the same camp as... Paul Chabot and Kevin Sabet and Scott Gagnon and Patrick Kennedy and the drugs are and the head of the DEA and everybody that wants to keep us in cages. It means you are providing aid and comfort to the drug rehabs and the pill pop pushers and the prison guards and the cops and the drug testers who want to keep the status quo as it is. So it's bad enough when these stoners against legalization and, – and keep in mind, a lot of these guys that are stoners against legalization make their money thanks to medical marijuana having being legalized or thanks to the reforms that have led marijuana to become an industry, right? So in a sense, they're taking stoner money to be stoners against legalization, fighting against our own freedom. But what makes it worse – is when they cast aspersions on those of us who support any legalization. And, and this is where these videos come up. Uh, this is a fellow named Manuel Chavez. He's a director of technology at Firesight, which is a website-making company. And he's got a YouTube channel called Defango, and he 
wears his company shirt while he's blasting Ray Stern, the reporter, for having a vested interest in Kremla, which is why New Times writes more articles about Kremla than the AZFMR, saying, quote, Come on, Ray Stern, we know that you're obviously in this somehow. You're probably one of these people that's been donating money to these guys. Your money's in there somewhere. There's no way you would have written this many articles about MPP unless you had a vested interest in it, end quote. Well, Ray, I just wanted to issue my little vote of solidarity with you because I got all sorts of people calling me names and insisting that I must be bought off by the Ohio campaign. They must have... They must have... Uh, paid me to write all those Ohio articles. No. The reason Ray Stern writes articles about Kremla initiative is because it's an initiative that might legalize marijuana and generates news by actually accomplishing things. Signature gathering, press uh, releases, press conferences, donations, polls. (sighs) If I had a dollar for every time someone said I was a paid shill, I'd actually have the money that they think I have for being a paid show. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. All right, everybody, stay tuned. Hour 2 is coming up next. we got more stories for you here from Roll the Day Studios. I'm Radical Russ for everyone here at CannabisRadio.com. We'll see you in a couple minutes. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers. Toker Talk Radio, the voice of the marijuana nation. What are you people? On dope? Or you can tope. I am here. Or you can talk. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. Or you can talk and talk. Ten federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. While we talk about tope on Toker Talk Radio. So by the way, when it comes to pot, you know, if you're 40 years old, you live in a log cabin in Oregon, you got 12 giant pot plants in your backyard, have a ball. Live from beautiful Poplin, Oregon at Rolla J Studios. Plus your calls live at 971-533-7111. They're walking on their pants with their cap on backwards, listening to the end of a man, the Snoopy Snoopy Poop Dog. What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Gateway theory doesn't work. It's a reality. Holland, is it real? We're locking up people that take a couple of puffs of marijuana, and, and the, the next thing you know, they got 10 years. And now, here's your host, the guru of Ganja graphics, the sultan of sativa statistics, and the worst nightmare of a reefer-mad prohibitionist. A polite, perspicacious, productive pothead with a propensity for PowerPoint. Radical Russ Belleville. All right, welcome back, everybody. Hour 2, Toker Talk Radio on the air, live from beautiful legal potland, Oregon. CannabisRadio.com. Sorry for the volume there, getting things adjusted here in the studio. Seemed like that was a little hot. (laughs) 
Oh, my goodness. We've got uh, Democratic primaries going on in Michigan and in Mississippi. If you're in one of those two states and you're listening to my voice right now live, turn this off and go vote unless you've already voted. And in which case, thank you for voting. But, uh, yeah, we got this big race going down. And it's interesting because, you know, me as the pot guy, (laughs) I come and talk to you every day about marijuana. But lately, I've been putting some words down in the political realm. Online, I'm a blogger at Huffington Post, and my last three or four posts have been purely political posts, nothing to do with marijuana aside from tangentially referencing uh, Hillary and Bernie's stances on marijuana. But mostly, I've been writing these pieces uh, about Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton and how I will not vote for Hillary Clinton. Right now, I'm uh, looking at a piece that's been written by one of my favorite writers, the the rude pundit, with whom I almost always agree. And he says, get off it. You know you're going to vote for Hillary Clinton this this November if she's the nominee. You know you will. You know, quit quit, uh, 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 fronting, (laughs) right? Quit posing like you're going to vote any other way to which I have to say, sorry, rude pundit. (laughs) I will not vote for Hillary Clinton. It's not going to happen. So I'm getting calls now from some media, uh, cause this post I wrote up on this, you know, uh, this Hillary thing, uh, ended up getting like 50, 60, 70,000 likes, something like that really kind of blew up, went viral. And now I'm kind of getting courted by some of these media uh, to do some interviews and to talk about this stuff. I got Yahoo News uh, calling me after the show here to talk about this. And, and I, I wonder if they're going to paint me as the, you know, the ultimate Bernie bro, right? Straight, white, male, privileged, smokes pot, unrealistic, idealistic, called radical Russ, right? <laughs> so we'll see how this goes. But... um yeah, I'm sorry. I just cannot bring myself to vote for her. And it's not like I'm some sort of crazy idealist, right? Obviously, when it comes to the marijuana thing, I'm supporting all measure of kind of pro-business, moderate marijuana legalizations. I'm not one of the stoners against legalization. I'm not one of the true legalizers out there that thinks the only way to legalize is to have it have perfect legalization right out of the gate, right? So you'd think, well, gee, Russ, if you're so you know, incrementalist when it comes to marijuana, why couldn't you see the good in Hillary Clinton and that she'd be leagues better than whoever the Republican might be and you'd get some decent, you know, incremental good things out of Hillary. The problem with it, though, is that I could, I could, I could go that route with Hillary Clinton, if there were six things I disagreed with her on, or 12, or 20, my list is up to like 30 now. Like at some point, a, a, a candidate has to be so against so many of your core values that the things that she and you share aren't enough to outweigh those which you don't share. And somebody wrote it on my Facebook feed the other day about, you know, this is a negotiation between the Democratic base and the party. And in a negotiation, if you're not willing to walk away, you have no bargaining power.
This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. I said, on this program, what do they want? My grandchildren and the monster. (gasps) Did I scare you? Okay. Maybe you're high, too. Educator, author, and advocate, Dr. Mitch Earlywine is here to tackle the burning issues. And I'm here to clear up the myths about cannabis and burn them away with science. CannabisRadio.com presents a no-holds-barred platform that seeks to redefine and revolutionize the entire scope of the cannabis culture while opening the door for more to join the cannabis crusade. Dr. Kevin Hill. You can't ignore the fact that, like alcohol, most people who use don't have a problem, so I think that you need to think about policy in that way while educating people properly about marijuana. I think that's the way to go. Burning Issues, only on CannabisRadio.com. With over six years of experience in the industry, New Era CPAs is one of the nation's leading cannabis accounting firms, helping hundreds of growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies with their tax, legal, and business strategies. New Era CPAs offices cover the West Coast from Seattle to San Diego, and their skilled team is always available to help you take your business to the next level. Visit NewEraCPAs.com for more info and set up a consultation. Welcome to the New Era. Hello, Mr. Man. Hi. I'm doing... I'm, I'm working. I'm sorry. No food till this is done. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back. I hope you'll indulge me just a little bit longer as I unpack some of this political stuff on this primary Tuesday in Michigan and Mississippi. And if you're new to the show, let me just let you know, uh, Hour 1, the Russ Belleville Show, is the all-marijuana show. You listen to Hour 1, you're going to get all the marijuana news and opinion and analysis and all that. Hour 2 is Toker Talk Radio, and that means it's a talk radio show by, for, and about tokers. Doesn't necessarily mean we'll always be talking about marijuana. I think it's important that we have these discussions about politics aside from just the marijuana involved in them. Like, what are the political leanings of the cannabis community, even on issues outside of cannabis? And I I think these are great discussions. So in this discussion of Bernie and Hillary, and I I was talking about how I'm kind of getting pegged as this Bernie bro, and I'm part of this Bernie or bust movement that says we will not vote for Hillary Clinton. I'm reading this piece by the rude pundit who makes the very common argument that people like me are are children who, if we don't get our way, we're just going to stomp our feet, take our ball and go home. 
and that the responsible moral thing to do is that even if you don't like Hillary Clinton, you have to hate Trump or Cruz. And so you have a moral obligation to vote for Hillary lest Trump or Cruz get in and destroy the country. And this is where this is the big problem I have with that line of thinking. And, and I and, and I understand it because I've made these arguments in the past, but I think the times have changed and that argument doesn't hold as much weight anymore. First of all, if somebody tells me that, well, if you don't vote for Hillary, you're responsible for all the evil that befalls the world under a President Trump. I have to ask those Hillary Clinton supporters if they've washed their hands of the hundreds of thousands of dead Iraqis yet that are the beneficiaries of her vote to let George W. Bush go to war. I wonder if the civilians that have been killed in Honduras because of her actions as Secretary of State in helping a coup there, do they are they responsible for those as well? How about the, the people in Libya... And the uh, terrible thing. So, you know, if I'm responsible for the terrible shit that happens under Trump, then the people supporting Hillary have a whole lot of stuff they're already responsible for that I won't vote for and I won't vote to continue. And this this supposed horror that we'll have under a President Trump, when it comes to foreign intervention, military intervention, I actually trust him more than I trust Hillary Clinton. I actually trust that Donald Trump would be less interventionist. He'll talk tough. He'll posture. I just don't see it. I don't see this this horror. And the, and the other horror is supposed to be the Supreme Court, right? My God, if you don't vote for Hillary, you're letting Trump or, God worse, Cruz get in there. And you know what? I'll tell you what, folks. If, if, if Cruz gets the nomination, all bets are off. I might even hold my nose for Hillary Clinton against. Cruz scares me far more than Donald Trump does. Donald Trump doesn't believe the shit that's coming out of his mouth. Donald Trump doesn't know jack about governing. Donald Trump is playing a reality show and he's playing the media and he's drinking all the Republicans milkshakes at this point. But to him, it's just, you know, another show. It's another game. It's another deal. He, he knows we're not going to deport 11 million people. It's just physically not possible. It's logistically not possible. It's economically not desirable. Donald Trump's a business guy. He's in the hotel and casino business. Businesses that thrive off the <laughs> off of undocumented labor. I mean, come on. But Cruz, Cruz believes that stuff. Cruz's dad, have you ever like followed any of the Rafael Cruz stuff? I mean, these are like your fire-breathing, apocalyptic, full Bible-toting wackaloons. So if it's Ted Cruz, then yeah, maybe I can change my mind. But if it's Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, I don't fear Donald Trump. Donald Trump's been going to bat for Planned Parenthood lately. Not the abortion part, but hey, women get a lot of uh, uh, their their health care done, done there. You know, he's defended it a couple times. I think Donald Trump would be surprisingly moderate in his social policies. Now, he'd be a pro-business whore as far as electing some sort of Supreme Court judge that would expand Citizens United or give corporations more benefits. But how are you going to guarantee me Hillary Clinton's not going to nominate someone like that? I mean, given how close she is in bed with the financial industries and all of that. So this, this idea that, you know, 
we're just going to shut up and take it and vote for Hillary also ignores another thing. And that is, what do you really think the problem is? See, I think this lesser of two evils thinking has evolved thanks to the same sort of pressures that have turned our economy into quarterly thinking, right? You know how every, every quarter, there's, we have to show a quarterly profit. Everything is all about the quarter. There's no long-term thinking in corporations anymore, right? It's all short-term gain. We got to make that quarterly profit. And I think there's a similar thing that's happened to our politics where it's all about this four years, this presidential election, the most important presidential election ever without any concern to the long-term arcs in politics. What have we gotten for this lesser of two evils thinking? What's been the result? Because that's what, that's what it's been. It's not been so much vote for our guy. It's been vote to keep the other guy out because the other guy is so much worse. What has been the result of that? Well, the result is the party that used to be the party of Lincoln and Teddy Roosevelt and Dwight Eisenhower, progressive Republicans, Teddy Roosevelt even started a progressive party when the Republicans wouldn't move forward. These kind of guys, Teddy Roosevelt, starting national parks. Hell, you had Eisenhower warning against the military-industrial complex and doing the interstate highway uh, plan. Hell, Nixon created the EPA. We've got that Republican Party has now sold its soul as of the 1980s and the moral majority and, and Jerry Falwell and Ronald Reagan and all that sold its soul to evangelicals and the most racist nativist uh, losers in the country, that Southern strategy playing dog whistle to racism. They've moved so far to the right. You can't even see them anymore. Teddy Roosevelt and, and, and Dwight Eisenhower wouldn't even recognize them as Republicans. They'd recognize them as fascists. And so to be the lesser evil to that, since the Republican Party went ahead and kept listening to the worst elements of its base and kept making these Faustian bargains between its, its corporate wing, its evangelical wing, and its nativist racist wing, they've moved so far to the right that in response, the Democrats didn't move farther to the left they found they could slip to the right. They could keep slipping right. That's where the money is. We can go. And, and as politics, of course, became more beholden to money, there was a natural gravity. There was a natural pull. See, it used to be politics was all about the people, mobilizing people. And that's why Democrats needed unions and needed uh, you know, the social rights movements and needed people, the power of people. But as the power of people diminished and the power of corporations rose, the power of money in our politics rose, that created a natural gravity toward the money side of the political aisle, which has always been the right side, always been the conservative side. That's what I always liked about American politics. When I was growing up, it's like, Daddy, why are we Democrats? Because Democrats are the party of the working people. Republicans are the party of the owners and the rich. And you need both sides to have a natural kind of uh, ecosystem there so that the, you know, the Democrats are the mommy and the, the Republicans are the daddy. And the daddy needs to be strict and make sure mommy doesn't spend too much money, but mommy needs to be strict and make sure daddy takes care of the kids, right? That's, 
That's that's almost my first introductions to politics when I was a kid watching, you know, I think it was Ford and, and Carter debating. And I still believe in that. And I, I believe what's happened and part of why our politics are so toxic now is because that natural order, that natural balance or, or ecosystem has slid so far to the right with the introduction of money in the politics and the corruption that now today's Democrats – your Bill Clinton, Barack Obama, and Hillary Clinton are as unrecognizable to FDR and Lyndon Johnson and Jimmy Carter as today's Republicans are to Nixon, Eisenhower, and uh, Teddy Roosevelt. So if you're, at, if you're looking at long-term arcs, if you're a long-term thinker and you're not just focused on the quarterly gain and the four-year presidential race did we did we win this one did we lose this one if you're looking at that long-term arc you can't vote for hillary clinton hillary clinton just continues and further cements in that rightward shift every time a democrat wins the presidency and it moves farther and farther to the right the more the Democrats in the lower levels and, the, and such have to follow that pull to the right as well. That's why we have so many blue, so-called blue dog Democrats from you know, conservative southern districts and such. We keep seeing this pull farther. So what's going to pull them back to the left? What's going to pull Democrats back to the left? The power of the people. And the only way the people's power can be felt is in the power of the vote. And that would be if they can't get enough votes because we're sitting home. But isn't marijuana or dope illegal? Only for those who enjoy it. I want the Democrats at the end of the 2016 election, whether they win or whether they lose, to have to look at the numbers and say, well, look here. Here's a million votes. Here's two million votes. Here's five million votes for Bernie Sanders, whatever it turns out to be. Five million votes we could have had if we keep tacking to the left. They're not going to see that if they just keep getting our votes. Dr. Dabber, hurry. Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct. Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber, doctor's order. Less heat, <laughs> more flavor. The Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com, the national wildlife refuge for marijuana unicorns. It's time for Cannabis Facts About Alzheimer's from Robert Platshorn's TheSilverTour.org. This message is supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at HempInc.com. A new Florida study in the journal Molecular and Cellular Neuroscience found that cannabis promotes the growth of healthy new brain tissue. It can slow the effects of Alzheimer's and may, in fact, be able to halt it entirely. A long-term study by Ohio State University's professor Gary Wink concludes that people who regularly use marijuana get Alzheimer's at a much lower rate than others. This was Cannabis Facts from thesilvertour.org. 
an educational nonprofit supported by our donors, and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at hempinc.com. The Russ Belville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest-growing business association in the fastest-growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years, and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel 1 on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. I have a package here for Radical Rick. Is there a Radical Rick here? How about a Rick Russ? Any any Rick Russ? Somebody named Freddie Barack has sent him a package. Anybody? What is that? Sounds like a stuff. You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. Still talking about the U.S. presidential elections, the primaries going on right now, and why it's in the strategic interest of people with a left-wing agenda to not vote for Hillary Clinton. I'm not saying vote for Donald Trump or whoever gets the nomination on that side. You could always vote for Gary Johnson. You could always vote for Jill Stein. But to me, there's only two ways that Democrats will get the message that they've gone too far to the right. One is if turnout really sucks. We all know that low turnout benefits Republicans, high turnout benefits Democrats. This year, they're going to have all sorts of crazy turnout if Donald Trump is the nominee, and it looks like he's going to be. Donald Trump so far in the primaries has been turning out unlikely voters. You know when they do those polls and they say, among likely voters, blah, 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 blah. Well, that's because about what is it, a third of the people don't bother to even vote? Or is it two-thirds? I forget. Don't even, well, two-thirds probably in the primaries. Don't even bother to vote because they don't care, because no one's talking to them, no one's representing them. They don't believe change is possible. They think the system's rigged. They think it's all bought and paid for, that if they don't have two commas in their bank account, nobody gives a shit what they think. And the science proves it. We've seen the social scientists prove this with studies that show that the values and ideals of the common people matter statistically zero to our elected officials, and the values and ideals of the wealthy elite make all the difference in the world. So when you're faced with a situation like that, and you're told, well, if you're given Trump and Clinton, you just have to hold your nose and vote for Clinton, then what incentive does the Democratic Party have at all to move in any direction back toward where it used to be? If they can constantly, every four years, just come back and say, well, we supported fracking and warfare and spying and drone bombing and whatever else we could add into it. We don't want to break up the banks. We think single payer is not going to work. $15 an hour minimum wage is too high. We better not even try. They can do anything they want because they can always just fall back on, well, what are you going to do? Vote for the racist, homophobe, misogynist? Sorry, I, I want more. Sorry that I want more from my leaders than just, well, you can't vote for the other guys because they're terrible. 
Why don't you guys try being good? It's just, it's just be, become, you know, this is, I don't know how many presidential elections I've lived through now. I'm 48. So a few, and it's just getting to the point where year after year, election after election, being told that we have to choose between one candidate who's doing bending over backwards to put business in front of people and another candidate that's bending over backwards to put business in front of people and crucify people who are gay or have abortions or have dark skin. Like no matter what the choice is, I have to choose someone who chooses business over people. That's the choices. Now, no matter what you get, someone who chooses business over people. And I, I just can't take that anymore. And, and I just, the only long-term solution I can see is a, a abandoning by liberals and progressives of the Democratic Party. Now, should it go over to the Green Party or to the Libertarian Party or whatever? I, I don't know. All I do know is that lesser of two evils has gotten us where we're at. Lesser of two evils has slid this party from FDR to LBJ to Jimmy Carter to Bill Clinton to Barack Obama to Hillary Clinton. A pro-war, anti-labor, anti-environment candidate representing the left. And at some point, we on the left just have to say enough. Sorry. You want to be the center party? Great. Be the center party. Be the center-right party. That's fine. That's not the party for me. And our votes are out here. If someone would like to form a progressive party, our votes are here. Unfortunately, under our winner-take-all system, rather than having a parliamentary system, with our winner-take-all system, it will always be two parties. It doesn't the, – the labels may change though. So what would have to happen is this progressive party would have to form and it would have to significantly outperform the Democratic Party. And unfortunately, the Democratic and Republican parties – have already rigged the system so against third parties with all their ballot requirements and signature requirements and the ways they stage debates and so forth that the deck is already stacked against this. It, 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 trying to change the rigged system itself is rigged. And so it gives us even less to want to go for. And, and to me... I, I I took a lot from uh, Sarah Silverman. She was on uh, Bill Maher's show this weekend. And she explained how she was a Hillary girl. And she was all about Hillary. She's all supporting Hillary, right? Because she figured, well, it was like when they had steroids in baseball. Everybody took them. So the people that didn't take them had to take them because everybody was taking them. And that's just the way baseball was played. Everybody was on steroids. So to complain that your guy was on steroids was irrelevant because everybody's on steroids. So you pick the guy you like. And that was her analogy for picking Hillary Clinton was, well, you know, she takes all this corporate cash. She takes all this Wall Street cash, but so does Barack Obama. So does every politician. So that's the way the game's played. So at least I like her stand on this, that, and the other thing. And then she says, and then along comes a guy who's not on steroids. And that's exactly it. It's the rigged system, stupid. It's, and, and, and I'll tell you, 
I don't know that I'd be so Bernie bro this election if it weren't for Barack Obama in 2008. I was so excited about Barack Obama. There was a lot of the same dynamics. Hillary Clinton was running for president. She was the establishment candidate. She'd already been coronated. It was her election. These primaries were just mere formalities. And then came Barack Obama, a once-in-a-lifetime candidate who was saying all the right things about how, yes, we can, and it's all about us, we, not the crowning of Hillary Clinton, but we, the people, can accomplish things. And we can overturn this Bush administration, this terrible Bush administration that spied and tortured and did these terrible things. And Barack Obama got my hope up. Barack Obama got me with the mantle of hope and change and these 27,000 large crowds in Portland. And he spoke like a progressive. He spoke like a liberal. And I thought, man, a constitutional scholar talks like a progressive. First African-American president. For the first time in I don't know how many elections, I felt that wonder that anything was possible, that maybe this was a turning point for America. I love this country and I want to see it the best for it. And that maybe finally we'd with Barack Obama, we'd be evolving finally out of the shadow of George W. Bush and the shadow of the 20th century and be moving forward with progressive policies like they have in damn near every other functional country on the planet. We'd take care of our people. We'd take care of our infrastructure. We'd curb our military. We'd restore our civil liberties. That's what Barack Obama got me all hoping for the change I was hoping for. And then to have him not even get the seat warm in the oval office and go against some of the most fundamental things he campaigned on right off the bat, dropping public option right off the bat, excusing torturers and banksters. So, That's part of why I fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. That's partially why when I see Bernie Sanders come along, unlike Barack Obama, where you can only go back and look at four years of speeches on the Senate floor, with Bernie Sanders, I can go back 30 years of C-SPAN video from the House and the Senate where the guy's been saying the same thing, who stood for the same policies before they were popular, before they were memes, And so now, now I've got that trust. I've got a a candidate I actually trust who I actually believe and hold the same, if not greater expectations than I held for Barack Obama. I almost didn't get the chance to vote for Barack Obama because, as you know, Hillary Clinton was leading in the delegates and touting the superdelegates and the media was doing all they could to crown her preemptively and to dampen everyone's enthusiasm for Barack Obama. But fortunately, he was able to get through all the hurdles and all the shenanigans and get the nomination and go on to win. Debbie Wasserman Schultz and the Democratic establishment figured that out. They learned their lesson from 2008, and they worked to, again, rig the system as best they could by having as few debates as possible, by scheduling them on Saturday and Sunday nights against football games, to do everything they could to sandbag Sanders' campaign so that Hillary could finally, it's finally her turn, and she could finally make history by becoming the first woman president. And that's the other thing, too, about Hillary. I, 
I often think that like beyond being the first woman president, why is she running for president? I think there's too much of her own ego in this run. And, and yeah, everybody's got to have some sort of ego to one want to run for president. But I really think Bernie Sanders is one who's running for all of us. Right. And, and it's not as if the left hasn't given every clear signal we can give that we're not being listened to. What do you think Occupy Wall Street was? What do you think that was? People camping out for months and protesting. That was a plea. That was a call to the, to the left. That was a call from the left in this country that the system's seriously out of whack and somebody needs to do something about it and that somebody should have been Democrats listening to that. That was our movement. That was our gathering to try to express our displeasure and no one listened. Why? Because they don't have commas. Not enough commas in Occupy Wall Street. We don't have no money. Why bother listening to us? We don't write campaign checks. It was Black Lives Matter. It is Black Lives Matter. Another plaintive call from the left, from the disenfranchised, from the dispossessed, from the downtrodden. You know, the people Democrats are supposed to represent. So I'm, I'm kind of, I, I kind of laugh at these Democratic uh, establishment types. They're like, oh, I can't believe this burning your bus thing. How terrible. You're all acting like children, stomping and wanting to take your toys and go home. Yeah, we are throwing a temper tantrum because it seems to be the only way we get noticed. Apparently sleeping in the parks and marching in the streets and signing all of those open for questions and change.gov petitions in the hundreds of thousands don't seem to accomplish anything. Oh, I love getting riled up about politics, folks. I'll tell you what, though. When we come back, let's talk about some weed. What do you say? That's enough about politics. Let's talk about the weed when I come back. You're listening to the Russ Belville Show, Toker Talk Radio on CannabisRadio.com, live from Potland, Oregon. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be. The Vuber way. The Russ Belleville Show. We're as much like Cheech and Chong as ordinary Americans are like the Three Stooges. Hey, Mo! Ignite the conversation on some trending topics along the Cannabis Radio social media network. Join our crew of thousands on our Cannabis Radio page on Facebook or at Canna Radio, C-A-N-N-A Radio on Twitter. 
Plus, look for our Facebook and Google Plus pages for all of our original programs and connect with Dr. Dina, Kyle Cushman, Dr. Mitch Earlywine, Nurse Heather, Doc Rob, the host of Gondrepreneur, and more. Connect with the growing cannabis radio social crusade at Canna Radio on Twitter or search for Cannabis Radio on Facebook, Google Plus, and Instagram and grow with us. Are you playing an acoustic guitar but want to be louder without an amp? Try a Resonator guitar. The fingerboard extension has National Resophonic and other resonators, square necks and round necks. Stop by the fingerboard extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. Go wild hog in the woods. Remember, friends, there's more to life than marijuana. Date. Just can't remember what it is. Why'd I come in here? This is the Rush Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everyone. 39 after the hour here. Reminding you that CannabisRadio.com is the new home of the Tommy Chong podcast. Episode 2 debuts on the live stream at 6 p.m. Pacific Time tomorrow. Also available via iTunes and Stitcher. So we have some interesting miscellaneous marijuana news to cover here. And this first one comes from the website inverse.com. An interesting story about an analysis of over 10,000 descriptions of personal testimonies on drug use. I'm sorry, more than 10,000, hundreds of thousands of people that write their drug experiences on the website Arrowid. Now, if you don't know Arrowid, E-R-O-W-I-D, Arrowid, you should check it out. It's an online drug ex- drug encyclopedia, and like everything you ever want to know about any sort of drug is, you know, recreational drug, basically. Uh, they like to think of them as entheogenics, right? The uh, substances that, uh, you know, alter us, basically. Anyway, if you look out at Arrowhead, people have written their personal testimonies on using mushrooms or using acid or using synthetic drugs or whatever. So a team at Project Youth, a group called Project Youth at University of Amsterdam, cataloged all these people's stories. And what they did is they, they took out the stories that only mentioned one drug. And instead, concentrated on people's testimonies that had mentions of more than one drug involved. And what they found is that cannabis goes with everything. (laughs) Apparently, everybody who's a fan of other types of drugs also like cannabis. So it's an interesting study where they found that um, people uh, since – 2011, people taking cocaine have been much more likely to supplement their high with ecstasy than cannabis. Uh, The psychedelic 25I-NBOME, which hit the scene in 2010, is second most popular among amphetamine users. So there are some exceptions, but cannabis remains strongly preferred among those taking salvia and eating magic mushrooms. And it also looks at new designer drugs. Uh, it looks at some uh, legal things like oxycodone and Prozac and so forth. 
But it finds that marijuana is the one, it's an appetite, like they're calling it an appetizer drug, that it just goes well with people that like any sort of drug experience and might explain that marijuana isn't a gateway drug. It's more of a corridor drug. It's the connection between different drugs. Now, that sounds scary because that would be, you know, that would lead people toward that gateway drug analysis that, see, marijuana does lead to other drugs. I think it just is so natural and so a part of our bodily systems, the endocannabinoid system, that people that like to take drugs recognize this and just enjoy it. You know, it'd be like saying, you know, we found that among people that drink whiskey, people that drink beer, and people that drink absinthe, they all seem to like coffee. And people that overeat donuts and have sex addictions, and they all seem to like coffee too. You know, just because there's this commonality doesn't necessarily mean that there's any sort of relationship between the two. All right, let's take a look also at, uh, this is a funny, funny story coming out. We were just talking about the Democratic side on the primaries. Funny thing from the Republicans, John Kasich. You may recognize him as the sane one in the uh, four Republicans that are remaining. And by that, it's a very low bar to clear. But John Kasich was on a radio station, WWJ in Detroit, and was asked whether he had ever smoked marijuana. And he said that he smoked the drug, he smoked marijuana when he was younger, but quote, what difference does it make? End quote. And that just because he's running for president, he should not have to answer what he considers gotcha questions. And at some point in his campaign, he's going to stop answering questions that he feels are irrelevant. He added that he's opposed to legalizing the recreational use of marijuana at the federal level. Oh, okay. <coughs> Whether or not you smoke pot is an irrelevant campaign question. It's a gotcha question. But you would want to keep criminalized what it is you did. And you don't think there's any relationship between those two things. You, you think that you smoked pot and you didn't get caught, and you went on to become the governor of Ohio, and you were a cabinet member in the federal government, or I don't know if he was on the cabinet, was he worked with the Clinton administration, and those jobs likely wouldn't have come your way had you gotten caught and had a criminal record, but you don't think it's appropriate to ask you those questions. Yeah, good enough for me, but not for thee. That's the typical, typical line. <sighs> it's not a gotcha question, John Kasich. You wouldn't be governor. You wouldn't be running for president if you'd gotten caught and had a criminal record. And it's even less of a gotcha question now that states have legalized it, <laughs> right? We're not trying to trap you into proving that you're some sort of criminal, <laughs> Oh, so that's the latest on the Republican side. Now, in some money news, this is interesting that in Aspen, Colorado, there were a few months in 2015 where marijuana sales in Aspen beat liquor sales. The seven dispensaries in Aspen have sold more than $8.3 million of medical and recreational pot last year. 
These are some numbers. Now, whether or not pot exceeds alcohol sales isn't the indicator we need to be careful of. The indicator we need to watch is whether or not alcohol sales go down. Nothing about this report says that alcohol sales have gone down. In fact, people have shown in Colorado that the alcohol sales have remained relatively steady, even with the increase in marijuana use, increase in marijuana sales. Now, some on our side would say, hey, it would be better if there was a decrease in alcohol use, that marijuana and alcohol would then be shown to be uh, uh, exchangeable that people will use less alcohol if they have access to more marijuana. And since marijuana is safer, that is a net benefit for society. And while that might be true, I worry more about the political effect. If it's shown that legalizing marijuana reduces alcohol sales, that creates for us an opponent in the very, very strong beer, wine, and spirits industries. And they've got armies. We, we mentioned it earlier. They spent like $100 million on lobbying. They got armies of lobbyists. And if they start recognizing a trend that shows legalizing marijuana reduces their bottom line, we don't want to have them as our opponents. So I, I, I look at this, and when I see the Colorado numbers come in and say that alcohol sales have stayed the same, while marijuana sales have increased, I think that's good for now. I'd like to see it stay the same for about four years. (laughs) I'd like to see those numbers stay the same for about four years. Let us get another, oh, eight or nine or 10 states legalized. Then let's see the numbers come down. Then let's see the alcohol numbers come down and the marijuana numbers stay where they're at. Once it's set, once it's entrenched, once it becomes more obvious that the government's never going to undo this. Then let's see those alcohol numbers come down. That'd be nice. We also have a story here. I I almost put this in the stupid prohibition stories, but it didn't quite make it for me. It's a story right here from Sheridan, Oregon, local story of a 50-year-old woman who faces charges now endangering the welfare of a minor after allegedly losing track of a four-year-old that she was babysitting. The sheriff's deputies were called to a house on Monday because the child was missing. The resident, her name is Jill, said she was babysitting for a friend and left the child alone watching a movie while she took a shower. When she came out of the shower, the child was gone. She searched in and around the house but could not find the four-year-old. So she calls 911, calls the cops, cops come out. Cops come out, they find the kid in the living room hiding under a chair. <laughs> it's like been in the been in the house the whole time. But the deputies also found meth and drug paraphernalia and could smell burning marijuana and Jill admitted she was smoking pot in the bathroom while the child was watching TV. <laughs> so now she's charged with meth possession and endangering the welfare of a minor. That's a damn shame. You don't want to counsel people to not call the cops if a child goes missing. But you also have to counsel people that if you're using drugs, be extra careful 
check extra hard to find that kid before you call the cops over to catch you using drugs. Yeah, I didn't know how to put a stupid prohibition story frame on this one, especially since there is meth involved. Although I should make the point to people, and maybe this is a good way to end this segment, is that just like we shouldn't make enemies out of the alcohol industry, we also shouldn't demonize people that use other drugs. I know our drug is far safer than meth and heroin and cocaine and all that. But keep in mind that most of the people that use those drugs also do not have a problem with those drugs, just like most pot smokers do not have a problem with pot. Now, it's a different kind of most. According to National Institutes of Drug Abuse, 9% of cannabis smokers develop an unhealthy dependence. 9%, 1 out of 11. Well, that means 10 out of 11 don't, right? 91% of us do just fine. Well, the numbers for cocaine are about 83%. About 83% of the people that use cocaine do not develop an unhealthy relationship with it. Even heroin, like meth is like 22%, 23 so it's like meth, three quarters of the people that use meth don't develop an unhealthy relationship with it. Even heroin, the most addictive of them all, one of the most destructive, two-thirds of the people that use heroin do not develop an unhealthy problem with it. And 70% of the people who use alcohol don't have a problem with it either. So we have to be careful because we, we are inundated and we, you know, we should know better, but we're inundated by propaganda that fills our head as even as pot smokers with this idea that people that use the other drugs are depraved, vampiric, evil, untrustworthy, Those things can be true in cases. Hell, I've told you all my history with meth back in the 90s. I've, I've seen and experienced some pretty shady shit. But I also have very dear friends, people who I was cranking with back in the 90s who are still very dear friends of mine who don't use anymore, had their time with meth and quit and are perfectly fine and contributing to society so be careful who you judge for what drug they're using there but for the grace of god goes you this is the russ belleville show on cannabisradio.com gondrepreneur.com your guide to the cannabis business world Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. The Russ Belleville Show, where the truth about marijuana gets more than a minute to speak. Hey, this is Willie Nelson for Norman. And I smoke pot and I like it a lot. I learned a long time ago that marijuana is a lot safer than alcohol. There's nothing wrong with the responsible use of marijuana by adults. It's time we stopped arresting and started respecting those who smoke marijuana responsibly. 
To learn what you can do to help, contact Normal at NORML.org or call toll-free 888-67-NORML. Coming soon to a city near you, Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. Get all your cannabis accounting, legal, and compliance questions answered by their knowledgeable panel of industry experts who want to help your cannabis boom. Whether you're a grower, dispensary operator, or a newcomer to the field, your cannabis needs Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. For information on upcoming events, visit CannabisFinanceBootCamp.com. Pod 2.0. It's not your father's Woodstock weed. <laughs> this is the Rush Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. Just a few minutes here before we wind things up on our live show here on CannabisRadio.com. But reminding you, we've got some great shows coming up for the rest of this week. On Thursday, we do our regular Cops Say Legalized Drug segment. We'll have a member of Law Enforcement Against Prohibition discussing their frontline experience in the war on drugs and why that informs their opinion now that all drugs should be legalized. And looking forward to next week, next Monday, I will be on a flight to Phoenix, Arizona. So there will be a pre-recorded Russ Belville show on Monday, next Monday. We'll see if we can get some Dr. Mitch on that show as well. And all sorts of events coming up. I'm not sure if I will be out at any event for the rest of March because we got a lot of work to do with CannabisRadio.com in Phoenix uh, building up the network. But I so badly want to be at the Ann Arbor Hash Bash, which is April 2nd. And Hash Bash is also taking place at the same time that Washington, D.C. smoke-in protest is happening. So I don't know. Ann Arbor Hash Bash is the oldest and the first in the uh, marijuana season when it comes to activist protestables. I'd love to finally, after all these years, get out to Ann Arbor. Uh, If you can help me, if you are in the Ann Arbor area and uh, don't mind a couch surfer, that would help me a lot in making the decision whether to go to Ann Arbor or to go to Washington, D.C., where I know some people and could possibly crash on a couch. That's right, folks. We're pretty low rent here on the Russ Belfell Show. We are low cost and uh, very efficient, uh, traveling with a couple of of carry-on bags and sleeping on couches so that we can continue to bring you coverage of the emerging marijuana movement, medical marijuana research, the, the recreational marijuana industry. You stick with me, you're going to learn more about marijuana and the people involved with it than you ever thought you could know. We're going to go from coast to coast all the rest of this year. I've already got events lined up for New York and Baltimore, Washington, D.C., Orlando, Florida. Looks like we'll be back in Ohio. Going to march with my friends in Fort Worth, Texas, come this May. And, of course, all over the West Coast, from Seattle all the way down, well, maybe San Diego. I don't know if we'll get that far, but at least down to Los Angeles or San Bernardino, one or the other. Nevada, Arizona, of course, with its voting on marijuana legalization. 
I'm Radical Russ everywhere. You can find me on all the social media. If it's got a username, I'm Radical Russ on it. Also, RadicalRust.com is my website, which I haven't updated in a while. need to get some updates up there. And you can always email me, RadicalRust at Gmail. For everyone here at Rolla J Studios in beautiful legal Potland, Oregon, and my friends at CannabisRadio.com, I'm Radical Russ. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down.